0: I remember 28 years ago when I moved to Kansas, it wasn't long after I got here that somebody said, hey, let's go bird hunting. And I grew up bird hunting in Texas. Um, So it was a new experience to me in some ways because uh, we didn't have pheasant, at least in my part of Texas. So It was a really exciting thing. The only thing I remember was um, that it was really cold. I I wouldn't be able to hunt early in the season because I had so much going on. It seemed like it was always late in the season. And I remember it being really frigid. And then also I remember we hunted on the farm of the nicest farmer in, in the world. He was about 70, 80 miles north, a little bit northwest of here. And he always let us come hunt on his place. But I remember one thing about him in particular. Every day we would get there, you know, to hunt, he would always say the same thing to us. I mean, we hunted there several years. And every time we got on his, his, his property, he would always say the same thing. And he had this really thick southern accent. And he, and he said this to us. He would always say, Well, they were here yesterday. Talking about birds. They were here yesterday. If you'd have been here yesterday, you'd have got them. And it seemed like we were always there on the wrong day. I mean, we'd walk around looking for birds, but, you know, he would always say, well, they were here yesterday. We never did get to hunt on yesterday, I guess. Um, But I remember one particular day, not long after I'd I'd moved to Kansas, we were hunting here, and and it was uh, 2 degrees. I didn't even know it got that cold. It was 2 degrees. And it had snowed a little bit. There was still some snow on the ground. And I'm thinking, why on earth would anybody get out from some place that's warm on two degrees? And, and did I need to say that the wind was blowing? Of course the wind was blowing. It's Kansas. <laughs> and so my Kansas friends, and, you know, understanding that I came from Texas and that I was, warm, you know, used to warmth, They tried to outfit me as best I could. And I remember they actually put something, you know, I had a hat and coat and all all the stuff on. But they actually gave me like a nose protector. I can't even, I don't know, some of you hunters would know what it's called. But it like sits on your nose and and, and, and it was warm. And so, and you gals and guys who hunt, you understand what I'm about to say. It was really interesting, as bundled up as I was with two degrees, you know, outside. I, was, I would walk a hedgerow, and if the sun was shining on me, I'd get all you know, perspiring and everything. I'd get sweaty under all that stuff, and then I'd walk the shady side of the hedgerow, and I'd freeze to death. Most of all, I looked around and everything was brown. Everything was brown, and then I thought, God, why did you send me here? Why did you send me to Kansas? You know, it's green in parts of Texas where I've served, and now here I am, and in Kansas, and everything is brown. But I still remember one particular experience is what I want to get to. I remember I was walking through all this brown and, and dormant and dead stuff. And the next thing I know, I walked into a field and I looked below my feet and I'm standing on a lush lawn. And I'm thinking to myself two things. Number one, I'm thinking, this is awesome. And it really did something for my psyche to stand on this lush lawn, a beautiful, brilliant green in the middle of winter with everything else dead and dormant and snow poking out. And I'm thinking, I don't know who managed to plant this magnificent lawn and make it grow when it's two degrees outside in Kansas. But it did, it did help me. And the second thought I had is, I must be losing my ever loving mind. I must have frozen in this two-degree weather. And then somebody explained to a kid who grew up in inner city Texas that what I was standing on was winter wheat. And you know, I fell in love with winter wheat that day. And after 28 years, I gotta tell you, this time of year, when I get winter depression, I will go looking for fields of winter wheat because there's just something about beautiful green growing when everything else is dormant. I do remember a prayer that a 28-year-old preacher named Mark Hoover prayed as he stood on that field of winter wheat. I remember praying, God, Make me like this. Let me grow if everything else around me is dormant. God, let me grow if everything else is dead. God, let me still be growing even in the winter seasons of my life. This series is about growing. It is about you growing as a person. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had this experience before? You ran into somebody you haven't seen in a long time, and the person that you ran into, you have memories of them being not the smartest person in the world, a little immature, maybe a jerk. And you just see them coming, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, no, God, I'm going to have to talk to him. I mean, I haven't seen him in 10 years, but, you know, this guy is just like the dumbest guy in the world. And you, and you run into him, and it's like all of a sudden you're talking to a different person. I mean, all of a sudden, there's maturity and depth, and, and this person is centered and focused, and, and, and they're, 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 they tell you about the things that have gone on in their lives, and it's like, wow, and you, you walk away, and you say this, oh, he's grown. He has really grown, or she's grown as a person. If you've ever experienced that serendipity, that, fe- that wonderful feeling of seeing someone grow, you know what I'm talking about. On the other hand, I've had another experience. Well, let me just tell you, before I do, let me tell you, I had such an experience, I remember when I was a kid, I grew up in a very small church in in Fort Worth, Texas. My dad was a pastor. And so whenever visitors came with kids my age, my parents would often ask me if I would mind sitting with those kids to make them feel comfortable. And and I didn't mind, and I did. And I remember one particular week when I was 12 years old, we had a family come to our church, an 11-year-old boy, and my mom and dad asked if I would sit with, I almost named him, if I would sit with him during the service. And I did. And uh, some of you, you know, if you come from very traditional churches, maybe you'll understand what I'm going to be talking about. At the end of our services, we have what's called an invitation. We're so crowded here. When I ask you to make a decision, we we respond with a talk to us card. But back then, people would walk forward at the end of the service. If you've ever seen a Billy Graham crusade, you kind of know what I'm talking about. So during the service, this young man who was next to me, 11-year-old kid, my dad was doing the talk, and I could tell he was deeply moved by the message. And so, at the end of the service, in the invitation, I asked him. I said, "Would you like for me to walk forward with you and pray?" And he said yes. And at the altar that day, I and, and my dad led him to the Lord, and he, he prayed and received Jesus Christ as his Lord. His family came to our church, and we became really, really close. We became best buddies. But when he got into high school, he finished the story for me. He got in with the wrong crowd. And and he really got in with a very bad crowd. And before long, he was drinking excessively, he was using drugs, he was with the worst kind of people, getting into all kinds of trouble. And as he got older, he got into more drugs, more alcohol, and more trouble. And as a young man, I I mean, when I was there, I tried to go talk to him all the time. And from time to time, he would seem to listen to me, but he never changed. He kept hanging with the wrong crowd, kept doing self-destructive things. But I remember one particular night, a lot of years had passed by this time, it was the night before I moved to Kansas. In nineteen eighty-five. And and realizing that I might not ever get back and that I really might not ever have an opportunity to see him again, I decided I would go to his house and talk to him one more time in the hopes that I could get him turned around. And I still remember he lived in a very dangerous part of Fort Worth. And I went to that rickety old house where he lived, and I can still see myself standing on the on the wooden porch of his house. And he came outside to talk to me. And he was high when he came out, I could tell. And he just said, basically, when are you going to give up on me? When are you going to quit this? And I told him, I said, look, I'm, I'm about to move away. I just want to come and talk to you one more time. And he said, when are you going to stop? And he started using profanity and, 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 and just, you know, finally he did something I never believed he would do. He laughed at me. He laughed at me for coming to see him. And I have to tell you, as I walked off the porch that night, I said, God, I give up, I quit, and I'm embarrassed to say that I did. I didn't talk to him again for years. I just thought, it's useless. You know, when somebody, when you've tried, and you've talked for year after year after year, and you've pleaded with them to get back on the path, and they refuse, and then finally, when they just say, when are you gonna give up, and laughs at me for coming to see him, I thought, well, this is it. About 10 years ago, and I hadn't talked to him since. About 10 years ago, I'm sitting in my office, and I get a phone call. And he said, hey, and he told me who he was. And he said, I've just been watching some of your messages online. He said, man, it's really awesome what God is doing through you. I hadn't heard him talk like that in a long time. And he started telling me a story about how that he had met this wonderful gal who was a Christ follower, and they'd gotten into a wonderful church, and he'd gotten his life right with God, and he'd come back to Christ, and he'd quit the drinking and quit the drugs, and that he had, he had started walking with God and started volunteering in his church. And he said, Mark, you'll never believe what I'm doing. He said, I'm, I've got a prison ministry, and I'm going into the jails, and I'm preaching. Wow, that was a wonderful experience, and I couldn't help but think as I p- cradled the phone man he's grown on the other hand we've had experiences where we run into people and we've hoped that they would grow only to discover that they didn't i remember when i was very small we had someone who married into my family not my immediate family but my family And this guy, I mean, he had everything. I mean, you know, a lot of people feel like they fail because they don't have everything they need in life. This guy was given everything on a platter. He married an awesome woman. He married a beautiful woman. He married a woman with grace and personality and charm. She's 70 years old now, looks 15 years younger, and still lights up the room when she walks in. I mean, most guys would do anything to find somebody like her. He had a beautiful daughter who was talented beyond... I mean, just talented in just about every way that you could be talented. I mean, this guy has been given life on a plate. And beyond that, he was extraordinarily handsome. My dad would talk about how that he could walk into a store with him, and all the women would turn and look. He was tall, good-looking, charismatic, charming, everything. Perfect wife, awesome child, life there. And yet he wasted it all and squirmed it all. He couldn't tell the truth. He wrote. He, he left hot checks everywhere. He was always chasing the next big thing around the corner, couldn't hold a job. His ch- ship was always coming in, always some kind of uranium deal. I mean, he, was, he, he spent his life chasing women and chasing horses, and that may, be, that may work for a country song, but it's a crazy way to live your life. And eventually his marriage blew up, and the lady went on to marry this awesome man, one of the greatest men that I've ever known. Her daughter grew up thinking of him as her dad, But the other day I was talking to the daughter's husband and he told me that this man had passed away. And I, and I was kind of hoping that maybe somewhere along the line he had learned he'd gotten it. But he said, you know, he said every time he would call about his wife or, or this man's daughter, he said every time he would call her, all he could talk about was himself. By this time, his daughter is famous. His daughter is, is well-known around the world. I mean, he's got so much to be excited about. And yet whenever he would call, his call was always about himself or some horse he was going to buy or a ship coming in and then he died. And I thought to myself, isn't that a tragedy? 50 years, and he never grew, never learned anything. I always tell Mary Alice, I want to grow up before I die. And she knows what I mean by that. I, I want to I grow. I want to I get somewhere. I want to be mature. So on this first weekend of 2013, we're going to be talking about growth. And I'm not really sure you could even call this a sermon because really all I'm going to do is I'm going to get us prepped for what it takes to grow. But I think it's really fitting for us on this first weekend of 2013 to talk about growth. Now, I don't know how you feel about this, but i got to tell you, I have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with the beginning of a year. Now, if you're 20 years old, you you don't feel this yet probably, as a lot of you are. But if you're my age or even a little younger, It's possible, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or do anything in sort of demonstrable fashion, but it's possible that you have just a little bit of a love-hate relationship with the new year. On one hand, the the rhythm of the year makes you feel like this is a great time for change. You know, if things haven't been right, this is a great time to start. We're making a new start. The odometer is turned over. It's time for a new year. The hate can come in because we've tried to make those new starts in the past, and things didn't work out. And somewhere along the line, we've come, and I don't know if you've gotten this or not, but we come to a place where our failures crystallize, and we come up with this statement, whether we articulate it or not, I can't change. I can't change. I've tried to change, and I can't change. In fact, if I wanted to spoil the rest of our time together today, all I need to do is ask you a question. And if I ask this question, I don't know how you are, but I can tell you this, it sure spoil my service. If I ask you the question, can you change? Can you change? Some of you, you've had, you've had your wife ask you that question. Can you change? You either change or else. And, 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 if, and, and, and I think that's one of the things that, th- that, that intimidates us about a new year. It's like, can I change? Well, no, I can't change. And what happens when we discover that we can't change? It leads to a couple of ways of living. Either we get frustrated with not being able to change and defensive whenever anybody points to anything about us that needs to change but doesn't change. We, we get frustrated and defensive, or we begin to wear a mask and make everybody think that we have changed. I'm reading a biography right now. I have no idea why I'm reading this stupid biography. I was walking through Barnes and Noble and I got interested, and I got it on Kindle. Next thing you know, I'm reading this dumb biography. It's a biography on Cary Grant. And, and all of you who are young at New Spring don't know who Cary Grant is. He was George Clooney before George Clooney was George Clooney. <laughs> and he was a big star in the 30s, 40s, 50s, you know. And, and, and just, you know, personal magnetism and everything. And everybody thought Cary Grant was the quintessential man. My gosh, his life was a wreck. And reading the book, just about everybody else's life in Hollywood was a wreck. You know, they played a part, They played, and that's what we do. We look at the beautiful people, we buy People magazine, and we think, these people are really living. No, they're not really living, they're wearing a mask. In fact, (laughs) Cary Grant said this about himself. His real name was R.T. Leach. He said, everybody wants to be Cary Grant. I want to be Cary Grant. (laughs) So if I ask you today, can you change, chances are that would intimidate you, and you would say, I really am checking out. I've tried to change, and it just doesn't work. But suppose I ask you the question, can you grow? Can you grow? I don't don't want to speak for you, but let me just tell you from from Mark Hoover's point of view, if you ask me, can I change, I'm out of there. If you ask me if I can grow, it's a totally different question. And I'm apt to say, absolutely. Yeah, I can grow. I might not be able to change, but I can grow. With those questions being so similar in nature, what is it about it that makes us you know, push away from can I change, but embrace can I grow? I think there's a very compelling reason for that. You see, we know it is the nature of living things to grow. That, that is what living things do. Living organisms, living beings grow. I mean, one of, the reason, one of the ways that we can tell a person is dead is they stop growing. I mean, growth, and you say, well, oh, Mark, I've stopped growing. I'm 6'1 and I'm, I'm, I'm 63 years old and I'm a guy and I, I've stopped growing. In fact, I'm shrinking. No, you're still growing. You, you say, you know, you may be bald on top, but you're still growing hair in places. <laughs> growth is part of life. In fact, even healing itself is new growth. So living things grow. And and all of us know we've been given the gift of life, and it's the nature of living things to grow. Here's what I want to say today, and this may be radical for some of us, but I I hope that we embrace this and get this. Change is not our department. In fact, I can never find any place in the Bible where God tells us to change. He tells us to change our minds. That's repentance. But as far as like telling us to change as a being or change as a person, God, as far as I can tell, never tells us to change. Change is what he does. In fact, there are two places in life that I know for sure that God changes us. One is when you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God changes you. In fact, this is in the Bible. The Bible speaks of of salvation. It is a change of heart produced by God's Spirit. Another place, this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It It is changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. And so when you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it's not like you change your life to be accepted by God. It's that God changes you when you ask for that change. And there's one more time when you and I are going to have to change. Um, <clears throat> again, if you're under 20, you, you might not like this. If you're, if you're over 40, you're going to love it. Uh, you can't take this body to heaven with you. And, and a lot of us don't want to take this body to heaven with us. But, I mean, you really can. I mean, for, for, heaven is an awesome place, and, and you, this body would not I mean, it would be like putting a jet engine in a Volkswagen if you were to take this body to heaven. So God is going to have to change. In fact, that's what death is all about. Death is not the cessation of life. Why do we talk about people who have died in the past tense? Because death is not about stopping. Death is about changing in fact, the word death means separation. It is the separation of the soul and spirit, that part of you that is alive, that's cognitive, that is you. It is the separation of that part from your body. All we have left is the body. That's why we think a person has stopped living because we're not with where the real person is anymore. And so we're going to have to go a go change. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul writes, but let me tell you something wonderful. We're not all going to die, but we're all going to be changed. In the time that you look up and blink your eyes, it's over. On signal from that trumpet from heaven, the dead will be up and out of their graves beyond the reach of death, never to die again. At the same moment, in the same way, will all, that means those who have died and their spirits are with God, and those who are alive at the coming of the Lord, will all be changed. All I want you to understand is that God never tells us to do something that we can't do. God never tells me to change. He never tells you to change. Change is something only God can do. And again, that's my problem with religion. Because religion says change and God will accept you. You can't do that. That's why religion fails. Only a relationship with God really works. So God never tells me to change, but growing is a different thing because he talks about it all the time. And we're gonna see a lot of this in the next five weeks. Psalm 92, 12, the righteous will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. 2 Corinthians 10.15, our hope is that your faith continues to grow. 1 Peter 2.2, two, like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation. Here's a direct command. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 1.3, we thank God for you because your faith is growing more and more, and the love of every one of you ha- has for each other is increasing I used I use this in a series called Valleys last year. It's about people who go through difficult times and growing even in difficult times. The Bible says when they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. They will continue to grow stronger, and each one of them will appear before God. In Psalm 90, verse 12, and this is a perfect text for us today, first weekend of the new year, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Well, let's get specific for just a few moments today. You and I may not have what it takes to change, but you and I do have what it takes to grow because the life is in you. You already have the life in you. You you, you don't need to find resources to grow. You don't need to go out and acquire something that you don't have. You don't need to buy something on television or on the internet. You already have what it takes to grow because God has invested life in you. Now, here's the most important part of today's talk. This is where we as human beings are different from every other life form. Every other life form grows in a programmed way. God has programmed the plant world and the animal world to grow. But as human beings, God has given us not only the life but God has given us the freedom and the responsibility to steward our growth. And this is the best metaphor that I can think of, but, but, here, but work with me for just a moment. I want you to see yourself not only as the farm, but as the farmer. Because that is basically your life. You you are the living person. You are the farm, but you also have the responsibility and the freedom to manage your growth. And so, in a way, you are both the farm and the farmer. We're like the crops and the farmer. In fact, I would like for you, if you would, to, along with me, take that metaphor a step further. I want you to see your life as a farm that has a group of fields. Not like a farm on Facebook, but like, you know, a real farm. Imagine your life as a farm with a group of fields today, because that's really what it is. You have a relationship field. You have a crop that's basically your relationship field, your your family relationships, your friends. You have a crop that is your career field, a crop that would be your financial field, your physical health field, a personal development field, and the most important field, which is your relationship with God that also involves your purpose for living. Now think for just a moment. Those are your fields. You may have others, but all of us have those fields. Our relationship field, career field, financial field, physical health field, personal development field, and a relationship with God field. Now just in a quick moment of honesty, visit those fields for just a second. Did they all grow in 2012? Well, if you look at any of those fields and you say, well, I think there's some room for some growth in some of them, here's the question that we have for today. How do I grow? How do I grow those fields? I mean, because chances are, as we look at our fields, some of them are doing really well. It could be that your career field's doing fantastic because you invest a lot in that career field. You spend a lot of time there, and you're very anxious to visit it because it's going very well. But on the other hand, your relationship field and your relationship with your wife or husband and your kids or your parents may be very different. So if you look at any of those fields and ask the question, how do I grow? Well, that's what this series is all about. But I want to give you Three things to get started with today. And and these are, I put these in the form of personal statements because I want you to own these personally. If you will own these three statements, you are ready to grow. Here's the first one. And if you're taking notes today, you can put this down. Otherwise, this will be on the internet. You can check it out later. Okay. Here's the first statement. I have a holy discontentment with the status quo. The enemy of growth is the status quo. The enemy of growth is business as usual. So if you want to grow today, it starts with, I have a holy discontentment with the status quo. Something in my life, a particular field in my life, is not what it should be. And I have a holy discontentment with the status quo. Now, that's an odd, that's an odd juxtaposition of terms, holy discontentment, because usually we think of discontentment as a bad thing. But that's because we, we tend to be influenced by our culture to be discontented with what we have. I mean, I have a wonderful car. I love my car, but I was watching a car show yesterday and they were showing a bunch of convertibles. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, I, I would like to have a convertible. <laughs> I mean, I was looking at this convertible. I'm thinking, now after a minute, I thought, Hoover, you crazy, man. A convertible in Kansas and it's January. But you see what I'm saying? For just a brief moment, the culture made me discontented with, because here's the thing, unholy discontentment is when we're, when we're compelled to be discontented and we want something that we can't have or shouldn't have. Holy discontentment is when God points out something not quite right in our lives, something that we can have and should have. So a holy discontentment. I want to give you a challenge today. When you visit the fields in your life, whichever ones they are, and they're not growing the way they should be growing, I want to give you the challenge to see those fields not with shame that leads to guilt, but with a sense of opportunity. When I first came to Kansas, I was just amazed at where Kansas put wheat. I'd drive around the city, and the next thing you know, i see a wheat field. And I used to just think, I never ceased to be amazed at where Kansans will put wheat. And then somebody explained to me zoning laws and how that if it was zoned agricultural, the taxes weren't as high. But I'm still amazed at where Kansas will put wheat. Now, I want you to think about something. Next June, when it's harvest season, and you look out there and you see those beautiful, I mean, I just love driving out and seeing the wheat fields when they're ready for harvest. You see the magnificent wheat, like ocean waves blowing in the wind. I want you to understand something. Every field you see, there was a farmer, there was a man, there was a woman who saw a field where nothing was going on and said, nothing is going on here, but something could be. Realize that, every field. Every field, no matter what crop is there. At one point, there was a man, there was a woman who looked at a field. Maybe that field had rocks in it. Maybe it, had, maybe it had to be cleared with, you know, junk, tree branches or whatever. But there was a person who said, nothing's going on here, but something could be. On this first weekend of 2013, I want to challenge you to visit all your fields. See, here's what I know about Human nature. We tend not to visit fields where nothing is going on. Or we're glad to visit the fields that are robust and growing. For instance, some of us don't want to visit our financial field right now. We know we overspent for Christmas. We put way too much stuff on plastic, and it's like, I don't even want to look at it. I don't even want to go to that field. But you know what happens when we don't visit that field? Things just get worse. We just get deeper in debt. Or it could be that you have a relationship field and things are not good there and you're just saying, well, I just married a jerk and and nothing's ever gonna change and I just don't wanna go to that field. I would go to my career field. See, here's the deal. If if we visit our fields and and what we're left with is that I can't change thing and, and the next thing you know, we've got shame that leads to guilt, well, that's gonna be destructive. What I wanna challenge us to do today is to go to all our fields and to visit them today. We need to do that. In fact, in Proverbs, the Bible says, know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds. In other words, visit your fields and look at what's going on. In Proverbs 28:19, the message says, work your garden, you'll end up with plenty of food. Play and party and you'll end up with an empty plate. The NLT, taking that same verse, says a person who chases fantasies ends up in poverty. How many people do I know that they spend their life chasing fantasies. They never visit their fields because they're not happy about what they would find, so they live in fantasy. Maybe I'll win the lottery. Maybe I should have married somebody else. Maybe somebody will come into my life. Maybe somebody's gonna offer me a job that I'm not qualified for. I mean, they live their life in fantasies. But visit your fields with honesty that leads to opportunity, not shame that leads to guilt. Go to your career field and say, more could happen here. I mean, be honest about your relationships and say, more, you know, more could go on here. Look at your, your physical health. And, and, and for many of us, we need to take better, cares of, uh, better care of the temples that God has given us. And we're saying, you know what, I'm not really in the shape that I need to be in, but more could go on here and not more eating. I'm talking about more, more care of our bodies. How, how many of us with personal development, we've stopped reading books, we've stopped learning, we, we're, we're 50 years old and we're just saying, okay, that's it, or we're 30 years old and we're saying, that's it, I, I, I'm okay, I've gotten through college, I've got the degree on the wall. How many of us need to look at our personal development and say, more could go on here? Well, the first statement that I'd love for you to own today is, I have a holy discontentment with the status quo. The second statement that's so powerful is this statement, I can grow because the life is already in me. I, let, I, wanna, I want us to all let go of I can't change today. That is a non-starter, it's true, we can't change. But all of us can grow. And, and I don't, I'm not trying to get you to say it out loud, but I'm trying to get you to say it in your heart. I can grow because God has already invested life in me. First of all, he's invested life in you from creation itself. You're a human being, even if you're not a God follower. Do you realize you could still grow if you're not even a God follower? That's controversial, and most pastors wouldn't say it, but it's still true. You can, grow. you can grow. You can grow in your career field if you do certain things. You can grow financially if you do certain things. God has made you a human being. He's invested the life of creation in you. In fact, when the apostle Paul was quoting a pagan writer to a group of people that didn't believe, he, he said, it, someone has said, that was the pagan writer, in him we live and move and exist. So Paul was talking to people that weren't even God-followers. And so basically you can grow because you have the life of creation. But guys, this to, this to me is where it gets really serious. If you've ever come to a place in your life where you've invited Jesus Christ to become your Lord and Savior, you not only have the life of creation, you have the life of God's Spirit living in you. Now, here's the thing. If you're a Christ follower, how powerful is it to have God's Holy Spirit in you? What's the greatest miracle that ever was done? As far as I can tell when I read the scriptures, the greatest miracle that ever happened was when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That is the greatest of all miracles. Now here's what happens when the Bible wants to explain to you the power of God's Spirit living in you. The Spirit of God, Romans 8, 11, who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Not in your neighborhood, not in your world, but in you personally. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And in case we missed it, Ephesians 119. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe this is the same mighty power that raised Christ up from the dead. So if you've ever invited Jesus Christ in your life, you not only have the ability to grow with creation life in you, you have the ability to grow because God's Holy Spirit that raised Jesus up from the dead lives in you. So no wonder Paul wrote, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. In fact, in Ephesians 3 verse 20, the Bible says, His power at work in us can do far more than we dare ask or imagine. There is no way to write in English what the writer is saying here. He is saying God's power at work in us can do everything that we ask. Oh, no, more than that. He can do everything that we imagine. No, it's more than that. He can do anything. There's no, even up to imaginable, unimaginable capacity. And then he's saying, no, he can even do more than that. And there's the word amen. The word amen means basically this is true. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that God's holy, if you're a Christ follower, do you believe that God's Holy Spirit lives in you and that everything is possible with you. You know, if you believe that, you can say this, I may not be able to change, but I can grow. I may not be able to be the perfect parent, but I can grow. I may not be a perfect husband, but I can grow. I may not be able to be the perfect wife, but I can grow. I may not be able to be a perfect lawyer, but I can grow. I may not be able to be a perfect analyst, but I can grow. I may not be the perfect manager, but I can grow. I may not not have a perfect body, but I can grow. Not only the growth of creation, but the growth of God's Holy Spirit lives within us. I can grow because the life is already in me. The third statement that I close with is the one where you're gonna have to make a decision. You're going to have to decide how much you want to grow. <laughs> you know, when we, we, we have a new year, it's, it's typical for us to toy with things but not follow through. If you and I want to grow, we need to follow through with this one, and this one is so big. And this is, I am ready to receive whatever God, my source, has for me. Guys, let me tell you something. I never cease to be amazed at how people's lives have changed in the worship services at New Spring. I'm always having someone write me or stop me and say, Mark, you gave a talk sometime back and you said something and it changed my life. It totally revolutionized my life. And I've walked away thinking, that was a throwaway line. I only said it one service. I didn't even mean to say it. I walked away and thought, why did I say that? You know what I'm saying? I mean, and I'm always amazed at what people will snag onto. It's like, you know, you, you, you've made this one statement or you read this one verse and it just changed my life. You know what's going on at that point? What we do, to, what we do here is not what it looks like. It looks like you're looking to, at a very flawed man give you a talk. But that's not the case. What we're, what we're experiencing here today is something mystical. Many of you are God's children already. Others of you are exploring that relationship with God. You're opening your heart and mind to God. I am doing my best to bring to you what God says, even in a flawed way. But God's Holy Spirit is here, and he does something extraordinary. He knows how to tailor make this message for your life. He knows how to take a part or or just a direction from this message. I won't even know what's going on. I won't even be aware of it. In fact, sometimes people will tell me what God did in their lives, and I'll walk away and I'll say, God, why did you use me to help that person? You didn't even do that for me. That's true. I've prayed that before. Honestly, I'm saying, God, it's not fair. I preached the message. They got helped and I didn't. See, what I'm trying to say to you is this. If you will apply your heart for these next five weeks, God is going to talk to you because here's the deal. See, here's the deal. Your fields are different from mine. You're growing crops. I'm not growing. Your your areas of growth may not be my areas of growth. And so consequently, God is going to take these these words that we're going to talk about for the next few weeks and he's going to tailor make this message. And I am convinced of something as sure as I am that my name is Mark Hoover. I am convinced that if you will let God, he will talk to you. He will say things specifically to you. He will emphasize certain things. I mean, everybody else will just hear the lines, but in, you, in your life, it'll be like a neon and fireworks will go off in your mind when you hear this because you will know that God has said something specifically to you about your life and your fields. Now, the question is, are we ready to receive what God has to say to us? I approached this series like I, I only... I, I approached Bless You a couple years ago, for those of you who were here then. I, I approached Bless You the same way. I, I was, it was a series about blessing for all of you who are new to New Springers, and I thought, I'm gonna approach the Bible like I know nothing about blessing, and I'm just gonna start from scratch, and I'm gonna say, God, teach me about blessing. When I, when I started the Grow series, I said I'm gonna act as if I know nothing about growth at all and I'm just gonna open the Bible and I'm gonna let God teach me as if I never knew anything about it. And when I did, I came across a text and I I went and found Mary Alice and I said, this is the key scripture for this series. In fact, you'll probably hear it every week in this series. You ready for it? Isaiah 55.10. The rain and snow come down from the heavens, and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow. Producing seed for the farmer. And bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. Now this is God talking. I send it out. And it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. Man, do you get the definitive nature of that? It's not like, well, I think maybe I could help you. I mean, could I read that one more time? Verse 11, God said, I send it out. It always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. I say, God, that's what I want in my life. I want you to send your word to my life so that it will work. It will always work. It'll work everywhere God sends it, in every field. It'll work in your relationship field. It'll work in your career field. It'll work in your personal development field. It'll work in your physical health. It will work everywhere. But the question is, am I ready to receive it? Am I ready See, here's the thing. I already have a holy discontentment with status quo, and I know that I can grow. I may not be able to change, but I can grow. I have creation power in me. I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. I can grow. The question is, am I ready to receive what God, my source, has for me? This really hasn't been a sermon. I'm sorry about that. I'm really just trying to get you prepped for what's coming up. But if you make those three statements... This is going to be the greatest year of your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for what we've learned. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will do as I've said and tailor make the message for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now pray with me, please. Just just think with me for a moment. My challenge for you today is go visit your fields, not with a sense of shame that leads to guilt, but with a sense of opportunity, something could grow here. And let faith rise up in you. I mean, let it rise. Let go of I can't change. And embrace, I can grow. And if you're here today and you haven't received God's greatest gift, you say, Mark, I've got creation life, but I don't know about having God's spirit living in me. Well, understand that salvation is a gift. And with salvation, you get forgiveness of sin, you get everlasting life, and you get this marvelous gift of God's Spirit moving into your life. In fact, that's the reason why you have everlasting life is because God's Spirit is in you, and you can't die. And the Bible says whoever will invite Jesus in, whoever believes. In fact, I'm going to pray a prayer with you. These aren't magic words, but on this first weekend of the new year, if you would like to invite Jesus Christ into your life, I, I invite you to do that with me. I'm going to pray it slowly. These are not magic words. You know, this is not one of those Humbida, Humbida, Humbida churches. This is where you, you really mean, and what you mean matters. Pray with me, please. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me. I believe you died for me. I believe your blood paid for my sins. I ask you to forgive me and make me God's child. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, I know you may have a lot of questions. I have a gift I want to give you personally. There's a DVD and a book I wrote that hopefully answers a whole lot of questions about your decision that you just made, plus a coupon for a new Bible. Please come and get it today. All you need to do is just bring your talk to us card back to guest services back there or back in the back and just say, I pray with Mark. Nobody will bother you. Guys, thanks so much for being here. Happy New Year. We'll see you next weekend, Right.